ஜலிஸ்மிஸ்ட்ரேட்ஜலி who benefited mankind by delivering yoga for mind grammar for speech and by removing impurities of the body through medicine so in the last class we were studying the 32nd sutra of the second chapter of patanjali yoga sutra and 32nd sutra we found that it enumerates the five niyamas or the ethical observances which are the foundations in our spiritual journey the five yama which was enumerated in the 30th sutra and these five niyamas which is being enumerated in the 32nd sutra so totally 10 this 10 practices constitutes the foundation of yoga the meditation samadhi everything comes after that after we have taken care of the foundations namely the yama niyama asana pranayama so these four are the foundations based on which the next four pratyahara dharana dhyana samadhi is best i cannot think of qualitative meditation without taking care of this foundation practices foundational practices so now let us enter into the sutra the 32nd sutra of which a part we have already studied in the last class so what are the five niyamas the five observances the shauch santosh tap swadhyaya ishwara pranidhana so of which saucha and santosha we were studying in we have studied in the last class and today we are going to cover the other three practices which actually constitutes the kriya yoga when the second chapter we started discussing in the second chapter the very first sutra enumerated the kriya yoga this kriya this the practices to make you establish in yoga so kriya means some practice through which <clears throat> you will get established in the yoga that is kriya yoga so what are those kriya practices tapa swadhyaya and the ishvara pranidhana tapa speaks of austerity swadhyaya self study and ishvara pranidhana is a special type of devotion what it is we studied previously in the first chapter the ishwar pranidhana was there in the second chapter when we enumerated the kriya yoga again the topic of the ishwar pranidhana came and again when they are speaking of the niyama this ishwar pranidhana has been enumerated as one of the observances ethical observances which is going to create the foundation of our spiritual journey so the shauch in the last class to a quick recapitulation it means the cleanliness and tidiness the cleanliness actually speaks of both the external cleanliness of the body as well as the cleanliness of the mind the mind should be kept pure that always trying to keep the mind pure itself is a is a real practice of shauchar but to keep the mind pure to certain extent the preliminary practice of the keeping of the body clean is also has been prescribed why <clears throat> if you keep the body clean then the yoga sutras they have, they have a very uh, a unique idea that through shauchar actually we don't develop 
attachment for the body, just the opposite, the disgust for the body comes. And you may say, how? Very interesting that those who are very fastidious about keeping the body clean, so they in very quickly get disgusted about the body because it's by nature impure. However you try, it can never be kept clean. And from that, the disgust for the body comes, that this body by nature itself is impure. So when I'm keeping the body clean, it doesn't mean just uh, <clears throat> to have uh, all the so-called present day makeup and all. That actually speaks of attachment. Clean means it shouldn't have any, this what you say, the all the dirts and your perspiration, all those things you are keeping clean, not going for makeup. The makeup actually has all those, uh, the things which we use for increasing the external beauty. That speaks of attachment. That is not shocha. Shocha is just keeping the body clean. And that is invariably going to bring the disgust for the body. So you will find in, in that sister Nivedita, when he came to India, she was a very minute observer. She found that this bathing is a religious practice in the Oriental culture. He, she, coming from the Western background, she was aware of the Western culture that why this shower for beautifying the body. But when he came to, she came to India, she was aware of the fact that even bathing can be a sacred act. People taking a dip in the Ganges, the way do it, offering this prayer, this uh, uttering mantras, offering the same Ganges water to the divine. They say, praying the divine with praying the Ganges water, praying the Ganga with the Ganges water, Ganga Jale, Ganga Puja. So these are the practices. Why? Because the bathing itself is a religious observance. It is cleansing of the body. Why? Why I'm cleansing it? Not just to beautify the body. The Lord is the one who is indwelling in the body and my body is the shrine. So that's the way we keep the shrine very neat and clean. Knowing very well the Lord dwells there. Similarly with that idea, the one who is dwelling here inside the body, this body is the temple, the shrine, and it has to be, it is enshrining the deity there, my, the deity whom I worship, the one who is my ideal, my Ishta Devata, he's residing there, so the body should be kept clean, the body is the temple. So that's the basic idea behind the cleanliness. So that we were speaking of where we're discussing in the last class. So this is a basic practice, the shocha. Without proper shocha, external shocha, you will find it is very difficult to keep the mind pure. These are two very related things. Even uh, not only your uh, body, even the, your house should be tidy. That gives a sense of sanctity, that cleanliness is next to godliness. That this is a very uh, common proverb we have heard. That if the place is very uh, full of dirt, full of this rubbish, everything is scattered around, nothing is kept properly, you can never have a sense of sanctity there. If all the things are maintained tidily, the house is kept clean, then only you can have that sense, that feeling that my house itself is a shrine. I am just a trustee. This house belongs to the Lord. That's why we do Griha Pravesha. The idea is the Lord is the one who's for whom this house has been built. I first install him and we as caretakers stay there. So this, all these acts, if we are doing it just as a mere ritual, then we lose the idea behind it. That spirituality is something 24 by seven. It's not just sitting down and meditating. Through each and every act, we can be aware of the divine in our life. So that's the idea, to keep the house clean, neat and clean. 
because it is actually not my house. It's the Lord who stays here. Even I still remember that in uh, Belumad, there's a nice story that uh, the behind the shrine where no one goes, one of the very senior swamis is to clean that place very means with minutely he will clean that place. And when some your novice asks that Swamiji, why that no one goes there? Why you are cleaning that place so nicely? And then his reply was, know it for certain, Ramakrishna walks. This entire, this ashrama is his place. So it's maybe the people are not going. It is not for the people. It's for the Lord. He, he is dwelling here. He is moving around. So this is the bhava, the visualization. Even in the modern psychology, they give a lot of importance to the visualization. What, that, uh, that Lord is really walking or not, that you may ask and you will say this all pure imaginations, uh, what has to do with the reality? Just when we ask these questions, we will ask, uh, then I will just ask the question, what's the <clears throat> meaning of the software programming language? Do you, is there any meaning as such? Then why we resort to it? Because the output, the output which you get, that language apparently has no meaning. In our day-to-day life, I cannot use that language for conversation or for any purpose. But that gives me a wonderful result. And that's why I know that it is something which is having some purpose. It is worthwhile to learn that language. So these all visualizations in spiritual life with a, with a sense of awe and reverence. <clears throat> when I'm practicing this, these practices are not mechanical practices. <clears throat> it is actually helping you to relate to another dimension of our existence. Constantly through this shocha, the Lord is there. He's residing in the house. He's residing in the body. Keep it clean. Keep it sacred. So with that, the awareness of the divine comes just by the practice of the cleanliness, which as such is not a mere physical practice. And that's the importance of the Shochan, which has been enumerated as the first Niyama. And then comes Santosha. The constant hankering, it has to stop. That in our life we find that we are never happy. If you just see in, in a retrospect our own life, what has happened? That at certain stage, we thought that these are the things I need and then I can, I, I will be satisfied. And I will find that when we, the things which we thought is needed, when I got it, maybe I was satisfied for a short while. And again, the new desires come. And I think without that, the life is almost not possible. And that way we find constant hankering makes us full of concern. We can never be at peace. This constant hankering after the thing is makes us tired. We get tired. We don't know that it is an unending game, unending fuss in the word of Swamiji. Ever running, never reaching, nor a distant glimpse of shore. It's like riding on the treadmill the hedonistic treadmill, the hellish. You go on as if uh, walking, but you reach nowhere. You're just in the same place you're moving. There's a cycle of avidya karma karma. The ignorance. What is the ignorance? That actually, if I can always dwell in my own self, I know I am fulfilled. Nothing is there with the my so-called my consciousness, the purusha, the self needs, it is self-sufficient. That self when is getting identified with the psychophysical existence, when the asmita, the ahamkar, the ego is coming into picture and then all the wants come. That anything which makes this body uh, nourished, makes, gives this body some pleasure, I feel that those are the things which I need for my happiness, for my sustenance. And this is the agyana, the ignorance. I forget that actually I'm the self. Even this moment, the body dies off. I don't die. I am ever there satisfied 
just by being uh, just by being not i don't have to go on hankering after something that's the real meaning of the word swast we have forgotten the real meaning nowadays we use the word swast the disease free state is swast that i when I, if somebody is asking are you swast swast hona i think oh i don't have diabetes i don't have pressure i don't have any disease so i am swast but the actual meaning of the word swast is the one who resides in himself or herself swa sthita so the one who is sthita one is established one is residing in his own self is swast so actually it was the word which was used by the sanyasins when they were when they used to meet each other they will ask swasthona just to make the other swami the other monk aware of the fact that don't get disturbed by the phenomenal existence don't get identified with that remain established in your own self to remind they will use the word swasthona and just hearing those words we in general adopted that word and totally in a different meaning just to have a good health disease free state is swast the real meaning has been forgotten to reside in oneself that actually speaks of santosha so you will see actually each of these observances each of these observances if we practice properly they are actually helping me to keep my mind always in that higher spiritual awareness so that's why dhyana dharana which comes how this practices help you will understand that it is not just say that i don't desire anything and uh, even uh, what you say that uh, the one who has depression this psychological depression very severe depression you will find they have lost interest in everything so would you say that is a santosha no all these practices by itself has no uh, so called spiritual significance that what's your orientation that what's your mental orientation behind those practices that makes those practices fruitful so this this also that i am the self i am fulfilled i am in no need there is no need to run after this and endless pleasures of life just uh, in the words of swami ji seek not avoid not in the life as per my responsibilities i have been placed in a particular situation i take care of my responsibilities i don't run away from life you may say why i have de- developed the dispassion why not run away from life because in the name of renunciation actually i am seeking comfort i want i just want that for my comfort i want to go to the comfort zone don't want to meet the challenges of life so in our day to day life in our office everywhere if i take the challenges in a different way that they are there too what you say that curb my ego the every day the confrontation that i am facing if i can face it in a very unperturbed manner that i have been placed in such a situation where these are the things i have to uh, that absorb them like a buffer without reacting i have to do my work i simply don't go to the comfort zone so that is seek not and avoid not that i i don't go on hankering but i don't avoid in whatever situation i am calmly i take the responsibility go on doing my work and try to be satisfied with that so that actually speaks of santosha that not to go on hankering after again and again so there is that 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 nice story that in our tradition it is there that a minister a minister he was highly efficient minister the king depended on him it was almost uh, the minister who was running the show the king was so dependent on him he was an efficient minister but thus this minister uh, at certain point of his life 
developed a tremendous dispassion. He wanted to renounce all the so-called duties of life and uh, just uh, become a recluse. Now, the king was not agreeing to just discharge him from his duties because he was so dependent. But the minister was quite um, aged. He was a senior citizen now and he wanted that enough is enough. Now is the time for me to just retire. So what to do the king at last when as he was so insistent, uh, he agreed to the minister's word. So minister left the kingdom. And after many years, after about some eight or some 10 years, the king was going around his kingdom and he reached the, just the boundary. And then from there, the forest starts. And there the king saw someone is sitting, reclining to the trunk of a tree, reclining on the shade of the tree is reclining and just as if relaxing. The king was curious, who is sitting there? He went near and he was surprised. It was a minister, his minister who has resigned some 10 years back. And seeing the minister, the king was just standing in front of him, but he found the minister in no way reacted. He was in just simply relaxing with the legs spread out and the hands was hands were folded in his chest. The hands were folded on the uh, uh, just around the chest and the legs were spread and he was relaxing reclining to the trunk of the tree. Now the king felt a bit hurt that maybe he is not my minister anymore, but he was working under me for so many years. He's supposed to have that little sense of respect. Just seeing me, he's supposed to get up and uh, greet me, nothing as such. So the king just uh, being hurt Asked him in that say in, in in Hindi that's the word is Pau Felaya Kapse. From when have you learned to sit like this, spreading your legs? Pau Felaya Kapse. And the minister totally unperturbed replied, Hat Sameta Japse. The when I have learned to fold my hands, not to spread out and go on asking and seeking everywhere. So now I'm relaxed. So I have just spread out my legs. So this is a, just a, you know, that there's so many, this our uh, narratives are there to highlight the uh, spiritual aspects, the spiritual ideologies behind it. So that's why this, this is a story to highlight the Santosha, that once you develop that Santosha, it speaks of your psychological uh, development. What? Your mind is not tranquil. It is not disturbed by, I would be happier if I get this, if I get that, and constant turmoil that has stopped. So that's the practice of Santosha. And Santosha, as in the last class we indicated, it also indicates forbearance. Because in this life, we will find that there are situations where there is no solution. It's actually the most of the situations in the life we find that we are in a situation where there is no solution. As long as there is a solution to try for mending the situation, of course, is something which is encouraged. But when you find in no way the circumstance can be changed, then we should have to bend our attitude. That we should agree to the fact that I have to stay with it without reacting neither external reaction nor internal. That, inst that in externally, if I react immediately, the complications will be there. So I don't react externally, but constantly I'm grumbling. Then again, it is in no way helping me spiritually. My mind is disturbed. As the Santosha has something to do with Titiksha, as has been described by Shankaracharya in Viveka Churamani. That what is Titiksha? Sahanam Sarvadukhanam Apratikara Purvakam Chinta Vilaparahitam Sa Titiksha Nigatyate. Very nice definition. That Sahanam Sarvadukhana. I forbear all the so called sufferings in my life. 
when i find there's no way out i forbear sahanam sarva dukhana apratikara purvakam without trying to get rid of it without trying to mend it because i know there is no solution apratikara i am not trying to uh, reform or mend i am forbearing the next line is very important chinta vilaparahitam sometimes i know that i have to keep my job but the boss is so bossy and constantly i grumble every day i have that uh, what you say that the interaction the everyday the interaction with my boss in the office creates my mental turmoil i don't express but inward inwardly i am grumbling and that way it's like a rust it is not only that uh, that it affects my psyche it affects my body all the so called lifestyle diseases comes from the stress from the tension so at that situation what should be your attitude the attitude we should learn from buddha when someone came and told buddha that such and such person have slandered you that he has been you have been uh, that see he was slandering censoring you buddha never reacted and then that person again asked that don't you feel hurt that some that uh, that uh, such and such person is censoring you in such strong ways then buddha nicely what he replied is something very interesting he told if someone gives you a gift and you don't accept it then to whom that gift belongs and the reply was of course the one who was presenting the gift as you have not accepted it belongs to him the giver it remains with the giver the one who was giving with him it remains and now buddha said i don't accept the words which has been told against me as simple as that i don't accept so it remains with that person this is the thing which actually was in the back of my mind when i was in school dealing with the children i found very interesting that the children will have fights and the rule was if you have to complain against anyone you have to bring that uh, student along with you and you may say that they won't come none of the days to come because they knew once one student says come to let us go to the swami ji i have some complaint against you the student knew that if i don't go the complaint will be the punishment will be severe means if the uh, the complaint will be uh, going uh, means by the uh, swami ji will be uh, contacting the parents so the parents also will come to know so it may have some grave consequences so they used to come both will come together it was very interesting the one moment that the student says that i have a complaint against you uh, come to swami ji so both will come together so one day two of them came this uh, they they were in the junior class some sixth standard fifth or sixth standard so both of them came so i asked that what is the problem so the one who had complained he told that he suddenly have used all sorts of this abusive language against me for some reason he got angry and he used i told what are the what are the words he have used well, i cannot say they're so bad words and i told okay i gave him a paper piece of paper and a pen and told then write it after writing you fold it and give it to me so now he, uh, he wrote all those uh, that abusive languages which was actually uh, showered on him so he wrote and then folded and gave it to me so i never opened it i was not having any curiosity to see what all those abusive words was used so then i told then i just picked up the pen from my pocket and just told that uh, the student so suppose i give it to you and you don't accept this to whom this pen belongs the student thought a while and told it belongs to you as i am not accepting so then i told say so this for this all the abusive languages are there this is the thing which he has given you so now take it and just if you don't accept to whom it belongs so now there was a wonderful smile in that the, <laughs> the child has a wonderful smile well that he immediately pointed the other student that to him it belongs because i am not accepting so yes put it in his pocket so now we found both the children going out of the office with the hands on their shoulders because you know the children very easily forget all their grievances 
so quick that ramakrishna used to say that is a part that is a sattva guna that it is just having a very um, app very very what you what you say very, not a very deep impression it is very superficial impression in their mind very quickly they forget so that's the buddha's teaching has actually enabled us to teach the students that if you don't accept it is no more yours what we do suppose some abusive word has been used against me now i domesticate it actually i am domesticating it it is in my mind constantly i am uh, thinking of it i am going to the past that situation is no more there i am constantly thinking of it i am nurturing it i mean domesticating it so for that i could have enjoyed the situation the thing which has happened why should i bring it here now when i was in at the school this uh, in the uh, arunachal pradesh i still remember some senior swami came uh, was visited and you know as you are staying with the students 24 hours in the school in the hostel so there were a lot of issues will be there so the senior swami understood that yes uh, as being in a school with this such situation we need some relaxation so he told come uh, just let us uh, go for some uh, walk and it's a very wonderful place that's uh, uh, the campus was 250 acres land from the mountain there was a mountain from the mountain the stream is coming down and it bifurcates into two rivers and that's the boundary 250 acres so any time you can go to the just yeah, the wet deep into the forest and be by the side of the river enjoy the mountain the scenic beauty it's a wonderful place uh, the river water is crystal clear you can see the pebbles so the senior swami and uh, myself went and was sitting just by the side of the river and within a short time i started saying swami ji there is so much of problem to deal with the students constantly and then the swami told i have brought you just for this relaxation why are you bringing your world here also just now keep it there that's just for relaxation i have asked you to accompany me and here we are in this situation we are supposed to relax why are you bringing the world with you so this is the thing this constantly grumbling constantly just thinking of the past and that's how we create the hell they say that in this life a very interesting thing by default most of the moments are happy moments in our life this negative moments are something rare but you know that in the process of evolution we always were afraid of uncertainties and that's why we always try we always kept kept our awareness of all the negative things most probably that was required that any time that my the predator may come and attack me when we were in the forest we were just food gatherers in the forest our ancestors were the food gatherers so they were constantly in that uh, stress that any time i may be attacked or the other tribes may attack the predator may attack so they cannot relax but just see that we have actually inherited that there is no need for that in the present situation where, where from my workplace i have come now i can relax in my home but that negative that small negativity which is there in my life that pervades even the moments where i'm supposed to be happy and then how can you think of meditation it is impossible so this santosha is a second practice a niyama that just try to be at present don't constantly think that uh, that what i want to be in the future don't uh, brood over the past which is not in your hand so that's the thing which is the really meant by the practicing of the santosha to be in the present itself is a spiritual practice and now the next three practices we will take over this tapa austerity the word tapa has come from tapa means heat so how is the heat generated whenever there is a friction there is heat friction and how the friction is when you are trying to go against the friction then only the heat is generation and by the road we will you find the tire is getting heated when you move, want to move forward the road is just offering the friction it is 
not allowing you to go to the in the speed in which you want the speed gets reduced so constantly you have to again and again press the accelerator and you find in the process the tire is getting heated up so this why the word tapas is used that in this life whenever you want to have some positive endeavor you will find somehow lethargy and procrastination procrastination is ingrained in our psyche so whenever we are all attempts for self improvement we have to overcome that lethargy that procrastination that speaks of as if working against the friction and that's why this constant our in this life the constant endeavor for self improvement itself is tapas tapas doesn't mean that i stand in one leg uh, with the hands upraised for say for months or years that's what the idea of austerity is or i have to fast fasting is good uh, when uh, i do it in with proper orientation proper some uh, spiritual orientation that this what the tapas speaks this that when you are trying for any self improvement you will find procrastination lethargy are the thing which you have to overcome again and again that's why even in our scriptures they say that chhatranam adhyayanam tapah for the student there is no need for any austerity what's the austerity just to study why when you when you are trying to study you will find your mind easily gets distracted either it gets distracted for the things the lures of the world for the short term games or to some lethargy you find all the tiredness comes when you are about to study so this i have to fight against constantly it's not that that i just i will sit with my books and i will get absorbed in it the distractions procrastination lethargy this will be there i have to use my will power and try again and again to overcome all those distractions all the lethargy all the procrastination and keep my mind in studies why if i do it again and again this in the gradually how, what will uh, do it will increase my will power so we can increase our will power that nowadays we find that whatever my mind wants uh, i shouldn't struggle against it that's the general idea that freedom means freedom of the senses but the real freedom is freedom from the senses not of the senses if you just allow your senses your mind to traverse whatever it wants we in short time we will find that our life has totally been uh, drained out we have been deranged distracted destroyed our life it has to be channelized all the energies has to be channelized in the proper direction and that itself is tapas and the will power can be increased many say that uh, that by using our will power at last we find we have to yield to the so called lures of the world will power doesn't help it's actually we never practiced it as per our growth of the muscles are concerned we go to the gym there we are ready to work against the weight and we can see the visibly that the muscle power is increasing and the entire world is so much fascinated with that this all the gyms are there every day you go to keep yourself fit but what about your mental fitness we are never taking care of it for that no gym is required each and every day whatever my duties are there responsibilities are there which i do it properly sincerely by trying to get rid of the distractions and the procrastination it itself will become tapas and it will increase my will power the will power increases just the same with the muscle there's a growth of the muscle how the muscle grows when i go to the gym it is not the weight that actually helps to grow my muscle it's just the opposite it actually destroys my muscle when i am going and just working against the weight and when i overdo it a little i find there's a terrible pain my muscles get strained what has happened the muscle cells has actually ruptured and the pain can be so intense that you need rest for few days and then again you go to the gym now you find that your strength has increased you can work on the weights in a much better way 
much more number of times you can do the dumbling. You can use your dumbbell, you can work against the weight. What has happened? When the muscle cells ruptured, actually it was something negative. I'm doing something which is destroying my muscle. It's not the weight which is increasing my muscle. It's actually the feedback system. What? When the muscles are now regenerating, then the body's, uh, this, uh, the brain, it's not the brain. Each and every cell has its own brain. They start uh, giving us the instruction. What? That we have to multiply means more number of cells. When we are regenerating, just the number of cells that were there, if we grow, we cannot take the stress. Nowadays, this portion of the body is going through a lot of stress. So we have to multiply much uh, more cells than at it used to be. It is this feedback that helps to uh, uh, grow the muscles, build the muscle. So it is a feedback mechanism of your body. Similarly, the willpower also increases by the feedback mechanism. How, suppose when you're fasting for religious reason and you have just, uh, you have taken a vow that for 24 hours you will fast so in the Shivaratri. From this morning to the next day morning, you will fast because toward the night you have to uh, do the worship without taking food. So 24 hours I will be fasting. And now as I was, I'm not habituated, most probably by the mid of the day, I felt terrible hunger. But now as I've taken the vow, I somehow just try to ignore the hunger and continue with my fasting. Those who have fasted, they all know by late evening, suddenly you will find the hunger, the pangs of hunger has gone and you're feeling quite light and relaxed. What has happened? The body's all the hunger is a biological alarm. That at the time, at the time when you're supposed to take food, if you don't take the alarm gets on, the, uh, the alarm is set in. And it in the, the pangs of hunger is the alarm, which is saying, take food, take food. And you ignore the alarm. After some time, the alarm system gets tired, it stops. And now that's how you can delay the gratification. It's not that that constantly have to fight with that hunger till the next day morning. Yes, for certain time, for a few hours, I had to fight. But if I don't eat, I fight, after that I will find, now I don't have to fight. The, bo this, the body now just cooperates with me instead of fighting with me. And now I can easily delay my gratification and continue with the desired, this, my, my, the, whatever the desired goal, I can continue without the so-called the reaction of the body and the mind. And that's how the willpower can be increased. So, and that's the basic purpose behind tapas. That this has to be, that we have to learn it. That we again and again uh, indicated that marshmallow experiment. It speaks of tapas. It's, it doesn't speak of tapas. That many say that in the marshmallow experiment, what we found that the children who have the faculty of delaying the gratification. The experiment, as you all know, how the experiment that it was an experiment on the children. That the children, you just uh, try to interact with them. And after some time when they get friendly, you bring out a marshmallow and the child is about to eat it. You say, wait, I will go out and come back after 10 minutes. And if you don't, if you just can uh, control yourself, don't eat it. It will be in, in, in your, uh, presence, it will be in the front of you, but you just have to curb your desire and just sit quietly. If I come back and see you haven't taken the marshmallow, I will give you the second one. So all the children have the desire for the second marshmallow. But it was found that most of the children somehow couldn't desist. In spite of the fact they knew they're going to get the second marshmallow, they somehow yield to the temptation. Before the person came back, they took that marshmallow. Only a few could somehow desist. The experiment doesn't end here. The track was kept on all those children and it was found, a wonderful result was found. The children who had that faculty of delaying the gratification, it has been found it is they who have shined in life. That we generally have the idea that those who have high IQ, they shine in life. But this experiment specifically shows that irrespective of your IQ, if you have the power to delay your gratification, that actually speaks of your, this bright future, whether in your academic field or in your profession, 
you will find yes, it has a bright future. And the reason is simple. That they are this, the, the one who has the faculty of delaying the gratification, they are not myopic, not short-sighted. The, the one who are short-sighted, they can just see something in the front. At a distance, what is there, they cannot see. So most of us are myopic. Our immediate desires makes us totally short-sighted, doesn't allow us to see what is waiting for us. That if I don't take this one marshmallow and I, now I'm going to, going to get two marshmallow, just have to wait a little. And we just cannot wait for that. We are so short-sighted. It's as simple as that. Tapa speaks of that. That all these so-called desires, which is with me as an obsession, because I thought that they are the thing which is going to give me happiness in life. Now I realize that for my spiritual journey, they are the distraction. They doesn't allow me to keep my mind calm for long. They come again and again and distracts me. So I have to get rid of them so that I can have a qualitatively uh, better contemplative life. The desires like a, what you say, the pampered child doesn't come back and disturb me again and again. So for that, that tapas is required. See again, for that also the spiritual dimension, if you don't keep in mind, then the practice of tapas has no meaning. It will actually result in mental derangement. But if you have that clear vision that to really have a qualitative, qualitative contemplative life that I need that to this desires to be totally uh, calmed down. They shouldn't come again and again and disturb me. So for that, initially that willpower is required. And when the, your, what you say that you can continue with your willpower, you have to struggle at the beginning a little, and then you find that mind is now coming down because the biological alarm won't set in because you have already given the feedback that however they intensely they may just give the alarm i'm not going to yield so they they just get the feedback and they won't they will fall back just the way if that you are having the habit of feeding the birds in the morning the lot of birds come and one day you decide i won't feed them anymore the birds won't stop coming. For a few days, they will continue to come. But gradually, it takes a few days for that feedback to set in. They now realize that, yeah, that he's, he, that person is not going to feed us anymore. And then after a few days, they stop coming. So these few days, that when I have to restrain myself, that's the tapa. So when you have the idea that this fight will continue forever, no. Sri Ramakrishna used to give a very wonderful example. What he used to say? That a river has a curve. When you are rowing against the stream, you have to use a lot of energy rowing against the stream. But when you come to the bend, now you get the favorable uh, current. Now you just, to, uh, to keep the direction, you held the row in, 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 in a particular way, but there is no exertion anymore. Now you can relax. So till we reach the bend, the exertion is there. And we know that once we have tried, we are going to get the result of it in very short time, in short while. It is just waiting for me. If we have that idea, then the practice of tapa is possible. It is something which we have to adopt as a general, even for the students in our day-to-day -day life. What to speak of spiritual goal, even for our secular life, to really get established. If you don't have tapa, you will find that all the so-called culture, after it reaches prosperity, it starts declining. It has been found in the total West, there is now with all the prosperity, it's a matter of big concern that less, lesser and lesser uh, students are opting for higher education. Because somehow that idea has came, I can live uh, uh, that you say that a very uh, pleasurable life with some, uh, some, if I have some skills and all, with that I can enjoy my life. And as a result, the knowledge, the entire knowledge level is really, is really going down and down. It has become a big concern. 
So this tapas is something, even for our secular life, is what to speak of spiritual life. And that's the thing which has been indicated as the for, uh, this third practice. Swadhyaya also has to do something with the tapa, the next practice. Swadhyaya means self-study. It is What is self-study? Not studying something new. That once I have developed the idea after studying the scriptures, reading the scriptures, I've developed an intellectual conviction what my spiritual journey is. Now I constantly contemplate on that idea. What's the idea? Here, that I am the spirit. I am the purusha, the conscious principle, not the body, not the mind. After reading the scriptures, I now have some intellectual conviction of that. That won't do. Constantly, either in the form of mantra or in the form of contemplation, that same idea, I have to go on repeating. This is real swadhyaya. That is the self-study. That the, you are contemplating again and again, repetitively on the intellectual conviction about the spiritual truth. Aham Brahmasmi. This you have to practice. That is Swadhyaya. What it does, it is it actually helps you to resort to your neuroplasticity. You know that all our obsessions, it is very difficult to get rid of them. Why? Even a drug addict knows that drug is harming him or her. Intellectually he knows, but the obsession is so strong it cannot get he cannot overcome it. And it's true with all our obsessions. How they have developed it, how they have become obsessions. That the thing which out of necessity, which I do again and again, that creates a neural path in my mind. And once the path is created, I forget the necessity. Just to do it becomes my obsession. I like it. And I overdo it. Just be told that as our, this, our ancestors, there's so many examples. Maybe for, even just you take this Ramakrishna in the gospel again and again saying Kamini Kanchan Maya. And sometimes we say so, so many times he's repeating it. Why he's exaggerating it? But he's speaking something very basic. Just see Kamini Kanchan, lust and gold. That is our Maya. That is the thing which is obscuring our vision. Why he's saying it again and again? So these are the two things which we need. They're, they are the necessities. The lust is uh, helping to sustain the, our uh, the, the existence. Without that, we cannot think of the, 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 the sentient beings. And gold, that sustains us. It is our wealth which helps to sustain us. The lust and gold is a necessity. But why Ramakrishna is saying is it's a Maya? Now this necessity by constantly resorting it, resorting to it, not only in this life, from the life of a micro and to the advanced life of a human being. If anything is common, it's these two things: procreation and for sustenance, having food to acquire something. This acquiring the things which I need and procreate. That is lust and gold. This is the common from the bacteria, from the microbe to the human being. And that has become a strong obsession. As we are resorting to it again and again, it has become a very strong obsession. And when it becomes obsession, what happens? I forget the necessity. I do it just for pleasure, beyond the necessity. And the result is what? You just open any news channel. And whenever you hear of any crime, at last you will find these are the two things. There's nothing else which is there behind the crime, either lust or gold. Nothing else. So this, just you find, what has happened? The necessity has become an obsession. Now how to get rid of it? Swadhyaya. That through my studies of the scripture, when I become aware of another dimension of existence, and now in the form of the mantra, I go on repeating it. What I'm doing, I'm resorting to that neuroplasticity. But constantly, willfully, through tapas, when I go on repeat it again and again, at last, it creates a neural, new neural pathway. And suddenly you will start feeling that this tapa, this uh, repetition of the mantra, repetition, the nididhyasana, which I was doing with my willpower. I thought spiritual practice speaks of willpower. I was doing with my will. I never I found the mind gets distracted, it is lethar, it gets develops lethargy, and I have to use my willpower. At the beginning, that's true. 
and suddenly you will find a bliss enunciates. What has happened? The new neural pathway has formed because of the neural plasticity. A groove has been formed. And now, like any other groove, this groove also gives you pleasure of which you do again and again. The necessity, irrespective of what's the purpose is, you get happiness. And this is the happiness which now counteracts all other obsessions. There's no other way you can get rid of obsession. How it counteracts? Because this new obsession is qualitatively different from all other obsessions. All other obsessions you will find that all the so-called obsessions which results from lust and gold is depending on something external. My relations, my wealth, external. Till I get it, constant that fear is there, I may not get it. Once I get it, whether it's relation or wealth or position in my life, once I get it, constant fear is there, I may lose it. So as all my so-called pursuits are depending on something external, it's full of concern. But this new designed pathway, Aham Brahmasmi, I am the Atman, I am the self, I'm not the body, not the mind, not the senses. This contemplation, when it has created a groove, you, do not, you need not have to depend on something external. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, that Chanda Mama Shakolir Mama, that God is, that just the way the moon is everyone's uncle, God is everyone's own. It's a very simple word, but actually it indicates that you have internalized it. Nothing in the world can take it away from you. Kharche nahi koi, chor na leve, the Miravai song is there. Dina Dina Varata Savar. Once the groove is formed, now the wealth which you have in your bank, it may get expended, it may get, it may be stolen. You will lose it. To this, thieves are there to steal it. But this is the thing, this wealth that which you have internalized to practice, it can never get expended. No one can steal it from you. And the more you practice for other wealth, the more you use it, it gets expended. And it's just the opposite here. The more I go on with this contemplative practice, the more the groove gets deepened, the more the happiness out of it. Dina Dina Varata Savayu. So it's the it's the thing which is qualitatively and quantitatively means different from all other desires, and that's how the other desires falls off. Because why should I pursue pursue for a happiness which is mixed with concern? Once I know there is a happiness which is without any concern, I will not travel. Just the way once you get the freeway, will you go through the traffic? Never. As long as the freeway is not there. I may go through the traffic, the road, because there's no other way. But once I have the freeway, why should I go through the traffic? So all our desires, which are mixed with concerns, is like traveling through the traffic. And you have designed a new way of contemplation where there is no such concern. Why should I go through them? And once you don't go through them, that's the way in a grass field, if you walk through the grass field, a road is created. The grass gets dried, the road is created. If you stop, after a few days, you'll find the grass has grown. The path has vanished. The once the mind stops traversing those old path because of this new path, they all just start vanishing. The paths are no more there, efforts to stop. And now you have got rid of all the obsessions. Not only that, you have developed love for the contemplation. And that is the Swadhyaya. Just see, these are all actually observances itself speaking of the highest spiritual practice. That's why Ramakrishna used to say, the more you go towards the east, the west automatically falls behind. I cannot force them out. If I try throughout my life to get rid of the obsessions by trying to just stop them, it can never, you can never suppress them. It has to be sublimated by creating a new neural path of the so-called spiritual practice. And that can only stop encounter those things. So you have to go more towards the East. The West will automatically fall behind. You cannot push the West. And that actually speaks of Swadhyaya. And the last Niyama is the Ishwara Pranidhana. So today the time is over, but still just the idea is that when you believe in the divine and just believe the idea that whatever position in life you are placed in, it is by the will of the divine. And so I neither seek nor avoid. I am just going through that. 
situation and whatever the results of action that I can offer to the divine. The basic idea is just as a parent that I am supposed to take care of the children. So that is the thing I cannot avoid. Neither I seek. Why I don't seek that? Yes, that subtle desire may be there that when I grow old, the child may take care of me. That is selfishness. What the idea should be that the love which is in my heart, God has implanted to take care of his creation. I am just the instrument in the hand of the divine. It's God's love flowing through me for taking care of his children. So why should I ask for the result? Because I don't owe that love. It is not that I have built it up. It was there. Can you just say in this love, compassion, anything was not there implanted in our heart? It was there. When I see a poor man and feel compassion, am I to take the credit from where that compassion welled up? We are constituted in such a way that in our, in our genes that altruism is there. We have to be altruistic. And for that, if I start just having a sense of ownership, then I will have to suffer. Then I will have having the desire for the result. So I don't have the sense of ownership. It is a God working through me. So I have no expectation for the result. And this, that's what happens in life. Sharanagati comes. Many don't understand this idea of Sharanagati. They say as if it is uh, uh, making you vulnerable. It's in no way vulnerable. If you understand the idea of this real Sharanagati, that I am doing my responsibilities without any expectation, nor avoiding it, nor seeking anything, then that the ego starts falling off. And then the, what you say that spiritual realization is not because of your effort. Once the ego falls off, ego is like clinging. When you are just seated on the branch of a tree and you're clinging to the branch, you can never fall. But to fall, there's no effort required. You just have to leave the hold. The gravitation pulls you down automatically. There's no need for effort. So the moment through Sharanagati, we lose and loosen our hold. Immediately, we are, we are evolved spiritually. The grace, it is the plan of the divine. The moment, the more and more we can get rid of the ego, the more our clinging to the worldly, uh, what you say, the, all the desires falls off automatically. The plan of the universe is such, that is the grace. You will be taken up. The gravitation pulls us down. The grace, grace takes up to the divine. That's why in the Bhagavad Gita, the tree has been compared with Urdhvash Mula Avak Shaka. The spiritual tree has a root up on the top and the branches are below. So here if you leave the hold on the branches, which is the world, here you will be, the grace will be working on you to take to the root on the, which is on the top. That's your divine existence, the spiritual existence. And that's the idea behind the Ishwar Padidhana. So that's what we have covered. These things we have discussed in details previously. So we thought that we just uh, to do the justice to the sutra, let us take it in a nutshell. So that's what we discussed. So uh, we will proceed. Now this, all these practices, when you practice properly, what the, what's the result ensues from it, that it will be taken up in the succeeding sutras. And we will take up them one by one. Thank you all. For, for attending this class. Namaskar. Swamiji. Yeah. Um, you just explained the tree roots of the spiritual life are upwards and the like branches are downwards. It was very self-explanatory, but can you please elaborate it a little bit more? Oh, it's, it's I just, uh, it's in a very short, I was referring to Bhagavad Gita's, uh, that sloka in the 15th chapter, Urdha Mula Vakshaka Esho Ashwatha Puratana. Ashwatha means the tree which is not permanent, means this, our, uh, this existence. So the branches in the Shankaracharya's commentary, they're saying the branches of the tree is, actually speaks of the world. Just from the seed, uh, the plant grows, isn't it? So here it is not an ordinary seed. It is the, our uh, so-called, our spiritual uh, identity is the seed from which the world has came out. That, that's the conscious principle from which the world has came out. Uh, these are all upamas. If we shouldn't take it literally, here it doesn't. The the world doesn't come out in this just the way that from the seed the plant comes out. 
uh, it comes out as a superimposition. But whatever it may be, this world is the has came out from that seed. So that's that's why here that as the spiritual uh, our consciousness is the seed. So that has been spoken of is in the top, like an ordinary seed is in the ground. From there the plant sprouts. But as our spiritual existence is the seed here, which has been spoken of, so that has been spoken of as Urdhva Mula. It is um, the spirituality is something which is established uh, in something transcendental. From that, the entire samsara has branched out, whose branches are below. So as we are clinging to it, so the grace, the plan of the universe is such: the more you get rid of the ego, the more you become one with the divine. It is the ego which doesn't allow to become one with the divine. So the more we cling to the ego, the plan of the universe is such: I cannot be pulled by the grace. Grace is there working for all. We just have to leave the hold. Just the way when you are clinging to the branch of a tree, you don't fall, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But when I leave the hold, is there any effort required by me to fall? No, because the gravitation is there everywhere. Wherever I may be, I will be pulled down. Similarly, grace is there everywhere, as in the spiritual sense. You leave the hold of the world, you will be pulled up to your spiritual level. So the grace, you will find very interesting. The word guru means wet, which speaks of gravitation. In Sanskrit, the word guru means spiritual teacher, and also the word guru means wet. Anything he is having wet is we say it's guru. Very good. So guru speaks of wet. Guru speaks of gravitation. Guru speaks of spiritual teacher. So just like the way that the wet pulls us down, similarly the spiritual teachers, by his grace, as per the plan, the more we can leave the hold, the clinging to the world, his grace is going to work on us and will make us established in that spiritual identity. So that's the just uh, with the help of that Gita sloka, we were just trying to relate to it. So that's right. Hari Om. Thank Hari. you, Swamiji. Namaskar. Thank you.